Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, I'm recording this episode on the morning of Good Friday. This is the day that Christians stop to observe Jesus' death on the cross. And of course, we're looking forward to Easter Sunday when we will celebrate the resurrection. So this is it for us. As Christians, this is the crux of our faith. This is our most important weekend of remembrance. We believe, we who are in Christ, we Christ followers believe that a man claiming to be God rose from the dead. It's kind of crazy when you take a minute to really think about what we believe. No other religious leader has ever claimed to be risen from the dead. Our faith is unique for many reasons, but this is a major one right here. If a man claiming to be God did in fact rise from the dead, then it would be wise for every human being to pause and take a look at that claim. That's what I want to do on today's episode of All Things. I want to look at the veracity, the reality, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because if it's true, it changes everything. So we're going to look at the historicity of the resurrection as well as what it means for you and me today in 2022 if it's actually true. Now, my personal view on the resurrection has been really central to my faith and to my testimony from the time that I was a young girl. You may have read before or heard me say before that I come from a family of non-believers when I was a young girl. It was not a Christian household. My father was a lawyer. And he was always a skeptic when it came to Christianity. And so as I began to hear the gospel and believe when my mom first took me to church at the age of nine, when I would go to my dad's house, he would really sort of interrogate me or cross-examine me. He would want to know what I was hearing at church and why I believed what they were saying was to be true. Um, My dad remained a skeptic as far as I know for my entire life, um, for his entire life. And he just did not want me to believe lie. He did not want me to be brainwashed. My views were really contrary to his. And I respected that. You know, as a young girl, I loved my dad. I wanted him to be proud of me. I And I didn't want to believe a lie. I didn't want to be brainwashed. And so that really provoked me to study hard, even from, you know, the young age of maybe 12, 14, especially through high school and definitely through college, um, having a very secular college experience. I studied apologetics very hard. Um, apologetics is just the having answers and proof for our faith. It's, it's having the evidence to back up the claims that our faith makes. And so these areas have always been really important to me and they still are. I don't want to believe a lie. I don't want you to believe a lie. I don't want to teach my children a lie. I don't want to teach followers a lie. Truth really matters and we must live in accordance with what's true. We've got to live according to reality if we want to be well. So the question today worth looking at is, was the resurrection real? And if it was real, if it really happened, why does it matter? Now, of course, I want to invite you to go to the show notes. I'm going to link tons of articles, resources, websites, books, where you can go to do further research, because of course, I would not want you to take my word for it. My hope is that this particular podcast episode will whet your appetite to go further and to do your own homework and to become sure of this central piece of our faith. So here are five things that I'm hoping you will consider as you ponder whether or not the resurrection really happened. 
Um, And again, I just want to say, as the daughter of a skeptic, as a woman who comes from a worldly background with no good human reason for being a Christian, I genuinely believed that it happened. Okay, so without further ado, five things for you to consider as you think about the resurrection. Well, the first is that the earliest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is that his tomb was in fact empty. So those who were opposed to Christ and his followers, for example, the Jewish leaders or the Roman rulers, they did not deny that the tomb was empty. Rather, they accused the disciples of stealing Jesus's body. Now, both liberal and conservative scholars alike agree that Christ was in fact killed and that he was in fact buried in the tomb. There are some peripheral scholars, especially those of Muslim background, who say that Jesus was never actually killed in the first place. They say he didn't die, um, or he maybe almost died, but that he was revived in the cold air of the tomb. But that view really doesn't carry much weight. Um, That view is not really respected amongst rigorous historians. So serious scholars who are both Christian and non-Christian agree that Jesus died on the cross, and that he was buried in the tomb. The earliest eyewitness of Jesus's death and burial, those who were antagonistic towards Christ and his followers, they confirmed that the tomb was empty in the way that they made allegations towards the disciples for sealing the body. So in other words, we can confirm that Christ died and was buried because the opposition at the time did not question either historical fact. They believed his death and burial so strongly that they thought the body must have been stolen. Okay, number two, and I love this second piece of evidence for you to consider because it's related to women. Um, We know that those who first witnessed the empty tomb were women. At that particular time in first century Rome, the testimony of women was not trusted, nor, if you can believe this, was it allowed in the court of law. So women were not considered credible witnesses. The women were the first to witness Christ's resurrection. They would have actually been sort of an embarrassment to their male contemporaries. They would have sort of been embarrassed that the women made it to the tomb first, that they had this testimony. It would have been sort of hard to believe because they were women. Um, So again, sort of embarrassing. The point is the disciples, if they were going to invent this story, if they were going to make up the resurrection, they would have said men were the first to the tomb. They would have said that men were the first to see the tomb empty and to testify to Jesus's resurrection. They wouldn't have left that detail in the story to women. Most scholars think that the women's discovery of the empty tomb is probably historical because any later legendary account would make the disciples, would likely make the disciples discover the empty tomb rather than the women. So just for fun, really quick, I want to inject in here who those women were so that you just have a familiarity with the women who appeared at the empty tomb. There's six of them. I'm going to list for you really quick. So first is Joanna. She was the wife of Cusa. Not sure how to say his name, but he was the household manager or the steward of King Herod Antipas. So Joanna was a follower of Jesus. She helped to provide financially for Jesus's ministry, along with Susanna and others. The second woman's Mary Magdalene. You've heard of her. She's a Galilean woman, probably from the town of Magdala. Um, Jesus delivered her from seven demons. She became his follower. She witnessed the crucifixion and the burial. She was the first person to see Jesus alive, and she ran and told the other disciples. Third, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Of course, she was present at the cross and the burial, and she witnessed his resurrected life. Fourth is another Mary. Um, Her sons were named James the Younger and Joseph, or Joseph. 
Now, the fact that there's two Marys in the story who have sons with the same names, James and Joseph or Joseph, shows just the commonality of these names in the first first century Galilee. Fifth is another Mary, the wife of Clopas. She was a Galilean witness of Jesus's crucifixion, and she is Jesus's mother's sister. Then six is Salome, mother of James and John, another one of Jesus's female followers in Galilee. Okay, so moving on to our third piece of evidence to ponder when it comes to the resurrection. During the 40 days between Jesus's resurrection and his ascension into heaven, he appeared numerous times to groups of people, sometimes dozens and even hundreds at once. So the earliest source that we have on record for Jesus's death and resurrection is a creed, and it's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is by Paul. So according to virtually all scholars, this particular creed dates back to within five years of Jesus's death. So through this creed, we can get a glimpse of the earliest days of Christianity in Jerusalem. So let me read you what it says. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Okay, so Paul here is effectively inviting any reader of his letter to interview the eyewitnesses. He's saying, if you don't believe me, just go find the witnesses. They're alive. Go ask them yourself. The fact that Jesus appeared to more than 500 men and women at the same time is truly remarkable. Paul boldly puts his credibility on the line when he mentions that they are still alive. Okay, fourth piece of evidence for us to consider. Whatever it was that the eyewitnesses saw, it transformed their lives. So in other words, Paul has mentioned all these eyewitnesses. He says it's of the risen Jesus. Whatever they saw, their lives were transformed. They went from being a small band of insignificant and unimportant believers They turned the Roman Empire upside down within the span of a few hundred years following Jesus's resurrection. Their belief that Jesus was who he said he was led to their torture, their banishment, and their cruel deaths. So these people were willingly hung on crosses, both right side up and upside down. They were fed to lions. They were beaten by gladiators. They were hung on posts and lit on fire and more. It is truly inconceivable that anyone, let alone hundreds of people, would willingly go to their torturous death for a lie. So we possess strong historical evidence that certain key eyewitnesses were martyred for their faith. Of course, we know about Peter. He was crucified upside down, likely. James was stoned. Paul was beheaded. So whatever these first followers saw, they believed it was worth giving their lives for. They would not renounce their faith. They would rather be tortured and died. They sealed their testimonies with their blood. Okay, fifth piece of evidence to consider. Not only were people transformed as a result of the resurrection, but so were traditions. Recognizing that Jesus was the substance that fulfilled the Sabbath, Christ's followers began to celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. That's the day he rose from the grave rather than Saturday which was the law-given Sabbath day. 
Additionally, Christians saw that Jesus was the substance that fulfilled animal sacrifices. So they suddenly, abruptly stopped offering animal sacrifices at the temple. And another one would be the Passover meal. Rather than observing the Passover, they began to have the Lord's Supper. So literally within weeks of the resurrection, Jews who believed in Jesus willingly gave up their sociological and theological traditions that really were at the root of their identity, and they then committed themselves instead to following Christ and to implementing these new traditions of Christianity. Okay, so those are the five evidences I hope you'll consider. Now, here's why these this matters. Here's why we care. Here's why Christians want to be students of history and believe what is true. Because if we trust Christ, we too will be resurrected to new life. So if Christ was resurrected and we surrender to him, we are saved by him, we walk in him, then you and I also will be resurrected to new life. I want to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this weekend. It is like the resurrection chapter. Um, I would encourage you just to dig in. Here is just some verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, Just as as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So in other words, in this chapter, Paul talks about how we were in Adam and then we're in Christ. Just as we were born first the earthly way, we will be born the heavenly way. As Jesus was resurrected, so will we. Um, Listen to these verses starting in verse 55. Paul says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Again, because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that following him, obeying him, walking in his will, it is not in vain but it is of eternal importance. So the resurrection means that our present troubles are only momentary and they are also eternally meaningful. Um, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. In fact, the older that I get, <laughs> the more that I wear down because of age and the more that I see people pass away because of age. These verses mean a lot to me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, I hope that really encourages you. This life is not all there is. This suffering is not all there is. Our current trials are momentary, but they are bearing eternal fruit. And then finally, the resurrection means we can willingly lay down our lives so that others might know Jesus and they also, we might also be able to care for them. So one thing I love to remind myself and others, especially when I'm going through a valley or a dark time, or when I'm encouraging a sister in Christ through counseling or just reminding her of what's true when she's in the midst of a difficult situation, I love to remind her, we serve a resurrection God. Our God is eternally victorious. He overcame death and darkness and sin and the grave forever and ever. But his resurrection only came after a death. 
new life comes only when the first one has ended. So in this way, death is a gift. Of course, death is painful, traumatic, dark, despairing, all of those things to be sure. But death is also the beginning. It's a required seed for new life. So my question for you is, are you experiencing a death right now? Maybe you are walking through a scary diagnosis or terrible pain. Um, Maybe you have unmet dreams and unfulfilled longings. Longings that are godly and biblical and from God himself, but they yet remain unmet. Maybe you're walking through the failure of a spouse or the betrayal of a friend or the far off distance of a child. Maybe you're walking through the weight of addiction. And what I want to say to you is that in Christ, you will live. Abundant life is on the other side of whatever death you face now. You and I only need to look to the cross today, Good Friday. Let's look to the cross and remember how good and kind and worthy our Savior is. If you are in the throes of a specific kind of death, remember this. God's will is good. Your pain is not in vain. The Father is at work in you and new life is coming. So tonight, as we observe Good Friday And as we observe the resurrection this weekend, let us feel the weight of the reality of Jesus's death. Let us feel the weight that he died in our place, that he suffered the consequences and the payment of our sin. And let us be grateful. Let us be humbled and so, so grateful. And then on Sunday, as we observe the resurrection, let's be encouraged that this resurrection is true. We do not cling to a fairy tale. This is not made up. There is very satisfying and sufficient historical evidence for the resurrection of our Savior. We have good reasons, both secular and Christian, historical sources confirming the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. And because his resurrection is true, you and I have every reason to hope, even in the face of great loss. This life is not all there is. He is risen, friends. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening.